Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here with me today. We have a very, very special guest, and you're going to love this interview. Uh, Dr. Ellen Albertson has a new book out. She has an amazing life, and she has an amazing voice to share so much of what's going on with us in our lives and in her life. And just where we're going to go in this next, as people call it, like this second half of life, whatever we want to consider this. Thank you again for being here. Hey there, Kelly here, and thank you so much for joining us today. I'm honored to have you here. If you're looking for tips, habit shifts, and shortcuts to fitness consistency and the freedom that feeling great brings, you're in the right place. As the fitness consistency coach with a touch of adventure, I've been helping smart, busy women embrace fitness and long-term freedom for over 20 years. I am so glad you're here. Thank you, Kelly. It is such an honor to be on your show. Thank you. So I'm going to read a little bit about you from your bio real quick. So Dr. Ellen is a psychologist. She's a registered dietitian, national board certified health and wellness coach. She's a Reiki master and a mindful self-compassion teacher. She's known as the midwife whisperer, which I love. And she helps women raise their vibrations so they can have energy, confidence, and clarity to make this next chapter the best chapter. So I have a question. We we hear this a lot. We hear the fact that, you know, this is the next chapter. Um, can you tell me what defines that? Like, how does this work? Well, I think the big thing that happens at midlife is that you realize that there is less time in front of you than behind you. And you start to have this, you know, revelation that, yeah, I'm running out of time. And maybe there are things I haven't done and places I haven't been, or maybe I'm in a situation now, whether that is relationship oriented or it is career oriented, or you haven't done as much travel, or you have this business you've wanted to start, you start to see, gosh, it's time to move on. It's time to, you know, move on with this. And you start to, I think, reevaluate your life to a large extent. There is also a U-shaped happiness curve. So research across 138 countries shows that there is a natural dip in well-being and happiness that happens in your 40s. So my clients usually approach me when they're looking at 50 and they're realizing, gosh, my life looks really good on the outside, but inside I'm just feeling kind of comfortably uncomfortable. I don't know what's wrong, but I don't don't wake up with any joy and zest for life. Maybe, you know, some of my clients, like I'm sure yours have let their bodies go. They're going, we're going through a lot of relationship times. Things are changing. There's a lot of uh, work around uh, work-life balance as well. So it's really a difficult time period where we're doing a lot of soul searching, figuring out, you know, I'm running out of time and what do I want my life to look like? That's kind of the, the sticky news. The good news is that you have decades ahead of you to redesign your life, whether you want to change your body, your career, your relationships, deepen your spirituality, whatever that is, you've got this juicy time period because we're living longer. So I like to think of it, if we sort of take childhood out of it, we get this first adulthood where we get to know ourselves, we make a bunch of mistakes, and then we reach this midlife period where we're like, okay, I want to make some changes so that I can make the next two, three, four, five decades as amazing as possible. Yeah, I love that. And it's, you're right. It's when you said that, I realized that that is the feeling that I've had is, for once in my life, my mortality. And it's a strange feeling. It's kind of like this 
this little devil in the back of my head going, oh, do you have time for that? <laughs> and that's an uncomfortable feeling. So I guess also people have, women especially have more awareness at this time, simply because we have a little bit more time. Maybe the kids are out of the house, uh, just we're looking at life in a little bit different way. It's a little bit easier because you've already gone through all that learning period that you go through in you know, your 20s, 30s, even 40s. Is that what you see too? Well, I think yeah, I see that. And the other big thing is menopause, right? So we actually have right. this physiological change, which can actually, you know, impact how we feel about ourselves, how we feel physically. You know, uh, it, it's definitely a time where we're taking stock. And what's happening is, as you mentioned, we're moving from maybe identifying as being the mom, you know, being the caregiver, being the, the wife, these things and realizing, okay, I'm changing my identity. These relationships are constantly shifting and we are reevaluating. But the cool thing is when you start to realize I'm running out of time, you also can bring more mindfulness into your present day existence and just decide, you know, today is the only day I have that's going to be this day. And so you can really wring more out of your day-to-day -day life. And that's really one of the keys. There are many keys to rock in your midlife, but one of them is really this mindfulness idea where I'm going to experience what I'm experiencing. I'm going to enjoy this moment, accept where I'm at, notice what it is I need to change and start making a plan to create a next chapter that really feels authentic. Yeah. Okay. And you said something that is, is so perfect there. It's accepting where you're at, but not settling for where you are. Yes. Like uh, Carl Rogers says, uh, the, the strange paradox is when I accept myself as I am, then I can change. You have to accept yourself where you're at. So let's just take, since we're, we're both sort of in the health and fitness world, you know, you get, you get uh, your doctor tells you something and you realize, you know, it's really time for me to get healthy and fit. You have to accept that I'm starting at this stage. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to go climb Kilimanjaro, right? I'm going to like right. do some training. I'm not going to do that. The 26 K marathon. I'm going to start, you know, with a 5k, a 10k, maybe getting help from some like yourself or a trainer or seeing a nutritionist, but you have to accept where you are, you are, because when you fight that, then you start, you know, having this, I don't, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't feel good about myself. And we need to be coming from this place of self-love. You know, I think our, our medical system so much says like, you've been bad, right? You haven't eaten right. You've, you haven't, you've let your body go. And now it's time to punish you with some crappy diet that you hate. Right. Some awful diet. Yeah. yeah. And I think eating healthy tastes great. And I love to move my body. So, but when we start with self-love and we do this because you, we do this because you love yourself, it really changes the energy that goes into this project of transformation. Doesn't it? It really does. So, okay. Self-love. I hear that a lot. I hear self-love and I hear you are enough, right? These are two things that I'm seeing more and more and more. And maybe it's simply because I'm more aware of it. But how do, how do you bring that self-love? I mean, I think for you and I, we both have a very similar morning. Um, my guess is that you do a lot of movement in the morning. You do meditation in the morning. What else does your morning consist of? And is that how you start your self-love practice? Yeah. Well, I wake up and I try to, you know, when we sleep, we have this opportunity to reset. So I wake up 
trying to maintain the positive mindset, the, the clear out that's happened. I do something called the five Tibetans, which I have been doing probably for a decade. It's five exercises that you do 21 times to sort of raise my energy. It's kind of a fun way to start. I do a little bit of Kundalini exercise. My partner, my fiance does that as well with me, which is so much fun. They usually meditate. Um, and then I usually like dive into work. I find that my social media presence is part of my spiritual practice. So during that meditation time, I might read something. I might think about my intention for the day. I do what I need to get my energy up and inspire me. So then I can share that energy with the people that are following me. Um, so that's what I do in terms, you know, in terms of the self-love piece, what really changed everything for me was something called self-compassion. Before I discovered self-compassion, I was your typical type A personality. Nothing was ever good enough. Always feeling like, you know, when I have that degree, when I have the perfect body, the perfect whatever, then I will love myself. But we, I, I never got to that place. And at that point in my life, I was also a personal fitness trainer. So it was like, well, when you get those six pack abs, you know, when you have those buns of steel and those, those guns and your biceps, then you'll be okay. But my clients and I, we never got there because um, when you are carrying this backpack of not enoughness, that's what you carry in your future. No matter what your body actually looks like to somebody else, body image is actually in your head. So what happened to me is I went for my PhD and along the way, I realized the, the number that the media plays on women, particularly women at midlife women who don't have your, you know, your slender ideal that, you know, you're not good enough. So then they sell us these solutions that of course don't work. And I realized all of this, that the media makes us feel bad about ourselves so that we buy into needing these, um, needing to consume something to feel better. And I wanted to really help women with something that was going to really help them to feel better about their bodies and themselves. And that's when I discovered self-compassion. I decided to make self-compassion the, um, the key in my dissertation. I was fortunate enough to meet Kristen Knapp, who is the pioneer in this whole area. I started practicing it myself. And that was a 180 for me. So I learned with self-compassion, people are always like, well, how do you love yourself, right? And it's really about treating yourself the way you would a good friend. And the thing that's cool about self-compassion, besides the fact that it works, regardless of how you feel about yourself in terms of self-love, self-compassion is a skill that can be learned. It's both a trait and a state. We can go to the self-compassion gym, just like we can go to the gym and lift weights and do sit-ups. We can practice self-compassion through both formal and informal practices. And not only will that help us to love ourselves, but it also will help us love our bodies. Um, my research showed that practicing self-compassion reduced body shame, body dissatisfaction, self-worth based on appearance, and improved body appreciation. And the cool thing is that when we love our bodies, we take care of our bodies. That's exactly so now right. what I do is I start with people, let's start with the self-love and let's make that our reason for everything and not with the self-loathing, this sort of like constant improvement of myself. I have to start with accepting myself, loving myself. Then I can be like, okay, how do I support myself through all of this? That self-love, that self-compassion is also very supportive. It's like a parachute in a life vest so that if you have a health crisis or you know, you're going through a divorce or any kind of COVID, whatever it is, you've got the support for yourself. And then also, if you try something new, if you take a risk, you start that business, you, you do that, you know, that exercise class, you sign up for that thing. If you fail, you've got a parachute, like, okay, I'm going to have a smooth, you know, a smooth landing back to earth. So it's, it's very powerful stuff. It's not just me saying it. There are probably are three, 4,000 research papers on self-compassion and how powerful it is. You're exactly right. And the more compassionate you are with yourself, it's just, it's what I call a cascading effect of good. 
because when you're compassionate with yourself, then it's easier to do the things that you love. It's it's just easier to pick yourself up when you need to. And it just, it's a nice river. It's a nice flowing river. So tell me a little bit about your book. So Rock Your Midlife. Tell me all about it, actually. Sure, sure. Well, the book came out uh, in November, so it came out in late 2021. I basically wrote the book because I have been a coach. I've been working with like women for the last 30 years. I became a dietitian um, 30 years ago, and then later became a coach and psychologist. But really, been coaching women at midlife for my whole career. But you know, intensive coaching for the last 15 years, and I've seen tremendous transformation. I've also seen tremendous transformation in my own life in the last, uh, I think, four or five years. Besides COVID, I've been through divorce, been engaged, two health crises, probably moved four times, all kinds of stuff. And I'm still smiling. I'm still standing. (laughs) I feel great. I mean, I'm all about, you know, helping women with their health and happiness. So I wanted to reach more women and I felt like there's a lot of memoirs out there, but I wanted a tool that could reach millions of women that anybody can pick the book up and work on any of the seven steps. We just talked about loving yourself, which is step two. The first step is authenticity. So if you want to rock midlife, you've got to figure out who am I? Because what happens with so many of us, this is my, my situation. It's like I was climbing up this ladder of success, but it was up against the wrong building because I was living somebody else's life. I was, you know, trying to please other people, which I think a lot of us are people pleasers. So we base our decisions around what's good for somebody else, not for us. And so you've got to get to know yourself. That's so key to figure out, like, how do I make a great new chapter? So authenticity is one. Self-love is two. Three is energize yourself. So just like what you're all about, Kelly, right? You've got to eat right, move your body. But again, doing it from a place of self-love, making it fun, making it exciting. Midlife women actually have different nutritional needs. We need more protein. We need more vitamin D, more calcium. Um, And then the fourth step is reprogramming your mind. So that's really all about mindset. And the cool thing is that we can change the way our brain functions. We can change these neuro pathways in our brain so that we can be healthier and happier. The fifth step is empowering yourself. And that means, you know, facing up, doing the tough stuff, right? Like stepping outside your comfort zone. The sixth step is rehabbing your relationships because what happens is when you start to become that butterfly, you go through this transformation process. Um, Not everyone sees you as the butterfly. In their mind, they still think you're the caterpillar. So you you get that piece. And the last piece is enlightenment, just having a spiritual connection, understanding that we are humans having, um, we're not humans having a spiritual experience. Perhaps we're souls having a human experience. Nice. Nice. And for those of people that I work with, they think that we just set this up because I have <laughs> been preaching to them for a while. And now they know that they can get the book, Rock Your Midlife, Christ, Rock Your, Rock your, midlife, rock your midlife, and um, actually follow your steps. So a couple of things. One of them is that you just talked about um, being courageous. And I noticed on your Facebook page that you had a quote about being a warrior, not a worrier. And I think that it's so easy to fall into worry it is training your brain. And what else would it be? How else do you step out of being a warrior and into a warrior? 
it's all about mindfulness. So it is about training your brain. And unfortunately, our brains are hardwired to protect us from danger. And the reason that we worry and we ruminate and we look for danger is that we've got this lizard brain. So this is this primitive reptilian part of our brain. We have both the amygdala, which is located at the base of our skull, like behind our head. And then we also have this default mode network that's scanning our environment for meaning and again, for danger, what could be wrong instead of what's right. And if we don't know how to rein it in through mindfulness, it can go crazy. And if, you know, don't mind me sharing, I just had a cancer diagnosis. So I have breast cancer. I found that about a week ago and my brain just wants to just like, you know, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm just thinking about, oh my God, I'm going to like lose my hair, lose my breasts. I'm going to my, you know, I'm going to decrease my lifespan and my well being, And I just have to just go stop because it's not doing me any good. Rumin, we think that if we ruminate, if we chew it over, and the, the word ruminate comes from ruminants, yeah, from cows yeah. who chew their cud, yeah. right? And we think that, well, if I just ruminate it over and over again, I'll figure it out. But what ends up happening is worrying is like praying for what you don't want to happen. When you churn that over and over in your mind, that's what shows up. So there's a lot of techniques that you can utilize. First, you know, mindfulness is great. So the, the reason we meditate, we do things like yoga, isn't to be, you know, a perfect yogi or a perfect meditator, it's really so that we learn how to work more productively with our mind. So that yes, when it's two o'clock in the morning and you're worrying about, you know, maybe you're worrying about your kids having some problems in school or your marriage is run amok or you're worried about your job or a deadline, you can realize, wait a minute, is this serving me? Like to think about, okay, what could I actually do to remedy this situation and actually take action, but to stop the chewing it over, over again, in your head to med meditation, some kind of, some type of mind practice that's going to help you learn how to work productively with your mind is really key. And then there's lots of other things you can do. Journaling can really help you to sort of mind dump, realize, or, you know, talking to a therapist, talking to a coach, mind dumping, all of that information. And then also just planning. So thinking about, okay, well, how do I stop this from happening? So for me right now, with figuring out like my course of action to live my best life, it's just, I'm getting as much information as I can, talking to as many people as I can, and then, you know, doing some meditating and figuring out what's my plan instead of just worrying about it. But I think it's also noticing in your body, right? Our bodies are, our emotions are felt in our bodies. And when you go into that worry place, that reptilian brain, your, your focus narrows, you can't think straight. You go into overwhelm and, you know, something just, I love to do is I just take my shoes up when it's warm enough and I go for a long walk. I do some grounding, being out in nature, you don't have to take your shoes off, but I love being connected to the earth doing something that helps you focus. I love also um, listening to music or learning to play the ukulele, drawing, doing something creative, something that's going to focus your mind and get your mind off of the worrying. But it's it's a practice and it's a, you know, it is an intention, a decision, and an understanding that worrying isn't getting you anywhere. And it's certainly not doing any good in terms of your physiology. I mean, we're worrying, of course, our stress levels going up, that's causing inflammation, it's contributing to undermining our well-being. So it's a something I think we all um grapple with. And I think at midlife, we just have so many people and so much going on. And plus, there's this whole crazy world situation that is really hard not to go into the gloom and doom mode, but you have a choice. You can harness your mind. You can do things that are going to help you stay focused and happy. You can turn off the media too. You can do things that you enjoy and you can really change your vibration. Nice. 
And you're so, so true. Yeah. Worry is, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so becoming the warrior is taking the action that is going to move you away from the worry and into what's best, what's next for you. And so one, let me ask you this. Is there something that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about before I ask you any other questions? Yeah, I think what we talked a little bit beforehand about sad grief and sadness and handling emotions. And it's so important though, as we're, you know, doing this work that you're not um, either having toxic positivity where everything's great all the time and you're ignoring your difficult emotions or some of the people do spiritual bypassing where they're like, okay, I'll just meditate for three hours a day and I won't pay attention. We need to embrace all of our emotions for a couple of reasons. All of our emotions have value, the sadness, the grief, even, you know, the fear, all of these emotions, when we embrace them, they have a, they have a message for us. They have something to tell us this learning to be done here. There's a change of course, a course correction that can happen. The other thing is when we feel all of our emotions, we feel more of the highs as well. I know myself, I had clinical depression in my forties and I took an antidepressant and my range of emotion was so narrow. I didn't feel the depression, but I also didn't feel the levels of joy and the happiness and the, the blissful feelings. I'm not saying if you, you take antidepressants, that's going to be your situation. But when we narrow emotions, when we say, I'm not going to feel the difficult ones, then we often don't feel the other ones. So it's good to, it's a rainbow, right? To feel all of your emotions. Yeah. The other thing that happens too, is if we, we push down the sadness, the grief, the fear, it often arises as depression because depression is like a pushing down. And I think with women at midlife, so often we either don't feel, we put everybody else first. We don't take care of ourselves. We don't um, get self-reflective and think about, you know, what am I feeling? What do I need? And then our, then the default mode is depression because depression is like this giant stop sign that says you've, you've got to stop now. You're not functioning. So I think we can do so much in terms of well-being and part of well-being is taking care of all of our emotions and a self-compassion practice that I share with people is make a list of how you'd like to take care of yourself with your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit and relationships. And then when you're feeling sad or you're feeling afraid or you're feeling frustrated or overwhelmed, you pull out the list and you're like, oh, I could grab that Mandela coloring book that I bought. I could listen to music. I could go on a walk or have coffee with that friend. Um, I could, oh, I don't know, do some journaling. So it's so important to really embrace all of our emotions. You know, even the, the most enlightened people who've ever walked the planet, the Buddha, Jesus, Mother Teresa, all of these people felt grief and sadness. It's part of being human. It's not a weakness. It's a strength. That's what, you know, Renee Brown talks about it all the time is being vulnerable, having this heart, um, heartfelt living, wholehearted living that she talks so much about where we feel so alive and we feel so much. It means that we're going to be vulnerable and that you're going to take care of all your emotions and including the ones that are difficult. Yeah. When we, um, I do know, like when you stuff um, an emotion, whether it's with one of the things that I talk about with people is sugar. And, you know, when you use sugar or alcohol or whatever it is to kind of like stuff that emotion down that isn't working, um, it stuffs all the others too. And I love your idea of having a checklist or a possibility list is what I would call it, where 
all those different things that you can do because we do get into those places. I was in a place like that recently and it's, it's, it's not my go-to place, but I was in this amazing amount of sadness. And what I did was I thought, well, first thing I always do is read. I'll read a book. I read a book about happiness. It just pissed me off. Right. I was like, screw that. I don't want, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. And then I was like, okay, stop. Let's go back to some of the other things that have worked for you in your life. And having that list of possibilities allows us to to move quicker and feel more, I think. So, yeah, and relate um, to other people. But also, too, it's important. You know, we were talking about that, the grief and the sadness and difficult emotions. But also, there is so much riches and happy, happiness at midlife, too, to do the bucket list. And then to say, you know, what are the things that I want to do? Where do I want to travel? What do I want to learn? Who do I want to meet? Where do I want to go? What do I want to create? And also starting to make plans and working on those things because you've got the rest of your life ahead of you. So, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the difficulties, but there's also so much joy because I think think something that happens at midlife too, is that we're like, screw everybody else. I don't care what you think. This is, I want to do this thing. We stop worrying about what other people will think. We do that podcast, right? We put ourselves out there. We, we start that cupcake stand, whatever it is, whatever that gift is that we have, we start to do that. And that's when we really come alive and we're happy. And that also helps to, life is about balance. It helps to, to um, balance out some of the difficulties that we're experiencing in our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, for my women, a lot of it is that they get to do that, that dream adventure that they never really thought they could do, but they always had it in the back of their hot minds. Um, and I have one client who she came with me on a Smoky Mountain retreat and she told her kids what she was going to do. And they're like, you're doing what? That's a bad idea. Who are these people? Where, how, you don't even know how to do that. And she's like, I'm sorry, I've been training for eight weeks. I'm on top of my game and I'm going. And she had so much fun. And it was just like, all of a sudden, it comes back to what you said earlier about being the butterfly and having people see you as the butterfly. Her family suddenly realized that she was the butterfly now. She's doing things. She's going places and she's enjoying, like she's really enjoying what she's up to. And it's so exciting to see because it is, you, you, you step through and all of a sudden you step out. And, and it's so I cool too, that. because so many women are doing it. And I encourage people follow me on, on Instagram, the midlife whisperer. And I love doing those silly reels, you know, the silly reels where you're like right. karaokeing or, you know, lip syncing or dancing. And it's just so cool to see women at midlife. I, I follow one woman and she hula hoops. She does these incredible things. I oh. bought myself a hula hoop. I it's love hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it's so fun. And, you know, I'm learning ukulele and, you know, working on my drawing and on and singing more and all these things. And the more each of us, if you're listening, go shine your light because there's a midlife woman out there when she sees you and she sees the cool thing that she's doing. She's like, man, I can do that thing that I want to do. So I think, you know, as midlife women, we don't really, we feel, you know, so much when, um, we'll only see about, you know, 15% of media images show people at midlife when we're like 50, 50% of the population. But when we start to see each other and we're not comparing ourselves to each other, we are all lifting each other's up. We're encouraging. And as midlife women, we influence up to four generations. We influence our grandkids, our kids, our peers, our parents, and they're all watching you. 
right? And my parents are like so proud of what I've done, but I had to sort of stand up to them a little bit because they were, they, after I wrote my book, they're like, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to do, um, get on TV and do a lot of talking and speaking. It's now it's time to like stay small, stay hidden. Don't shine your light. Cause I guess there was some danger of like showing up as your full self on bigger and bigger stages and shining your light more. And now they're like, wow, yeah, we understand. Yeah. But if people, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And that's all projection too. People are projecting their own stuff. It is, it is true. And it's funny when you say that about the hula hoop, that's the superpower I have, hula hoops. If I see a hula hoop in a store, I grab that hula hoop and I walk around the store hula hooping, right? And whoever's with me is like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, stop that. This is <laughs> embarrassing. And then other people are like, wow, how do you do that? And, and it is, it's like not caring so much what someone thinks, it's caring what you feel and having fun with it. Yeah, and who says that we're supposed to, Grow, I mean, grow up. Like, who says you can't <laughs> embrace your inner child? I mean, I think that's a really exciting part of midlife. Just going back to my first step in Rock Your Midlife of authenticity. You know, what did you love to do as a kid? You know, I loved nothing more than riding my bike, riding my bike, doing magic, uh, singing, dancing, doing all of those things, and going and realizing, gosh, what really lights me up? I, I talk about something in the book called Destination Vibration, which is about finding a time in your life where you were super happy and joyful, whether that was, you know, going on a vacation or for me, it was about dancing. I love to dance. When I'm dancing, you know, my, my vibe is very high. And just visualizing that, seeing yourself, at, you know, in your, a lot of times I'll have clients do it around their work, seeing themselves when they felt confident, when they felt productive or probably like with clients like you have, they, you know, somebody who maybe in their twenties was climbing a mountain, was doing hiking. And, and when we visualize that your brain doesn't know the difference between it being real and it just being in your imagination. And we start to make those neural connections and we start to attract those things in our life. It's so important to start to feel, make a plan about how you want to feel and start to visualize those things happening in your life. Cause I'm having a blast in my life. My life is awesome. And I have to keep reminding myself that just because I've got, I got this health diagnosis doesn't mean my life isn't wonderful. Right. And yes. And I have, um, all faith in you because it's amazing talking with you and your vibration, talking about vibration. And like, I think that's a whole nother conversation that we have to have some point, <laughs> but let me just ask you this. Cause I, I know um, you need to get going cause you've got many more interviews to do. Is there anything you would like to leave people with other than, and let me just say this real quickly, we will link to your, all your social, all your website, everything that you're up to, including your book. Um, where can they find you? And in case somebody's just listening and not on the show notes, and what would you like to leave people with? Well, you can find me at the midlifewhisperer.com. That's the midlifewhisperer.com. I'm the only midlife whisperer on the planet. So that you can get my <laughs> book there. You can find out. I also have a radio show called Rock Your Midlife. I have a free gift called 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. If you want help, you can reach me there as well. Um, I would say that twofold. Um, the first thing is you are not alone. Uh, there are people like Kelly, like myself, there are phenomenal coaches, people out there. Um, you have friends, you have your, also you have spiritual uh, beings to help you. There are God, you know, source spirit, whatever you want to call it. There are humans, there are other people to help you. So if you're feeling, gosh, I can't do this by myself, you know, we all need each other and, you know, someone else's pain is your medicine. There are experienced people. So get some help. Do and, and anybody who is going to help you should be happy to have a free consultation, tell you what they do, see if it's a good fit. 
Um, so do get some help. And I would say just to reiterate what I've said, love yourself and know that you are enough and be the youest you don't compare yourself to other people. You're not trying to be me. You're not trying to be Kelly. You're not trying to be whoever you see on social media. You know, we're all here for a reason. We all decided to come onto the planet at this time and the world needs your light and love. The world is a mess right now. And you're here for a reason, whether that is supporting half a dozen people or half a million people, you're here for a reason. And I think when we are, we are ourselves and we love ourselves and we step into that, I am enough right now. And we broaden our field. We stay in a higher vibe. We take care of the difficult emotions, but then we really work more on the courage and on the joy and the gratitude. Well, that's when we broaden and build our field of vision and we really attract what is in our highest interest, even if we don't realize it at the time when it's happening. It's always a silver lining. Thank you. That is brilliant. And thank you so much for being here with us today. We truly appreciate it. Um, For everyone listening, make sure, check out Rock Your Midlife. Check out the Midlife Whisperer, and we will have all the um, information in the show notes, along with you'll be able to um, get Dr. Ellen's uh, special gift. And thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thank you again so much for listening today. I truly appreciate the opportunity to connect. If you're ready to incorporate fitness consistency into your life, I'd love to help. I have a special gift for you. If it's a struggle to stay consistent with your fitness and you're ready for all the energy, vitality, and feeling great you can have, go to my website, fitisfreedom.com, and on the homepage, you can get a free copy of my Consistency is Key Masterclass, plus a fitness plan you can follow along with, guaranteed to get you started on your path to being fit and free forever.